All right, tonight we're going to finish up Acts chapter 10. I know I've been gone for two weeks, um, and uh, we had Pastor Don Dukes and Zach fill in. Zach talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit last week, which are going to be fitting because we're going to see what's called the Gentile uh, Pentecost. And this is where the Holy Spirit uh, fell upon the Gentile community. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and you'll get one. Amen. All right, uh, so Acts chapter 10, and uh, let me just share with you a little bit before we get into the study. Um, interesting week, and it ties in with the text. Um, I'd, I'd just been burdened uh, to spend more time in the Word and in prayer and looking at the schedule. I don't think I've ever been this busy in all my life. And uh, so I got up uh, 5.30, started getting up at 5.30, and it still wasn't early enough because my son would get up at 6, 6.30, and then there'd be needs there. And so moved it to 5. And then my friend David Glinky, um, it, now that term friend is on the on the border because... He asked me to go to boot camp with him to exercise because um, I, I heeded the counsel of Jim Mather, who said I needed to get in shape. And I told him round is a shape, but he wouldn't accept that. <laughs> so been working out and uh, and then getting up at five to spend time with the Lord. And I, and I, I just have really enjoyed the time with the Lord. And um, so... It was last week that uh, started really pressing into the Lord, and uh, and it was, I think, Thursday when the article came out in the acorn, and then Michelle lacerated her cornea, and then I hurt my toe, and I was out for two days, and we spent time in prayer, and I shared with that on Sunday, um, and just kept pressing in and moving the time back further to spend with the Lord, and and then yesterday I had a ton of stuff to do, paperwork, uh, and if you see my office, it's just chaotic. And, and there were critical things that had to be done. And so I got in and uh, all set to go, got up early, had time with the Lord. And uh, and then it was just chaos all day. Uh, Natasha, I got a call from Teen Challenge. We'd just taken her back. She'd gotten at the six-month mark and took her back, and she was going to finish up six months. And got a call that she was on her way to Ojai Hospital in an ambulance because she fainted. And uh, I guess she was passing kidney stones and she was in a lot of pain and had never, you know, I, I've never passed a kidney stone. They say it's the closest a man can come to giving birth. Uh, and she's making like a, a necklace, uh, apparently. So many are in there and she's just in a lot of pain. And so we were trying to process that and deal with that and all kinds of things. And I just, I looked at the day and I just thought, gosh, it didn't go the way I planned. And the Lord reminded me this morning, did you ask me for what you wanted to do? I said, no, Lord, I didn't. He said, you have not because you asked not. So I just started asking him to cover the things that need to be done, order my steps. And, you know, everything that you're facing in the course of the day, you lay out in prayer and spending time in the word. And even the verses started to really just minister to my heart. Today was exceptionally productive. And we had um, a tour today. I took uh, John Mink and and, uh, Pastor Brett and Pastor John to go visit a a building over at Amgen that's going to go up on the block for sale. And uh, we had a tour of the facilities, 55,000 square feet. We don't know what they're going to ask for it, but we had a chance to tour. And we sat down with the three realtors that uh, represent um, the person who wants to buy it on our behalf. And uh, and then we came back here afterwards to sit down because we couldn't talk at Amgen. And we sat down and started to, it was interesting. One of the realtors said, you know, tell me about your church. And we're, all three of us are Christians. And I said, okay. And just started to lay out 
kind of what we're about and started talking to him about political engagement and kind of the vision of the church and what we've been doing and how the church has afforded me the opportunity to travel around the country and to do a number of things. And, and you know, I kind of felt like I was talking on and on and on, but then I sensed it was really the Lord because you could see their eyes light up and they seemed to be getting excited. And uh, I was kind of questioning myself whether I was just a, you know, chatty Kathy and I should have just kind of stopped. And I get back up to the office about a half hour later, finishing up some more paperwork and uh, an email comes through, or no, a text came through. One of the realtors said, uh, how do I give a donation to the church? Do I do it through uh, the internet or do I do it? I'm like, well, we're already, realtors giving us money and we haven't even bought anything yet. Um, But it was, it was real exciting just to see how the the Lord accomplishes these things. And, And I say this to you because as we start to take a look at this passage of scripture, you're going to notice two things. Uh, Peter's name is going to be referred to in this text, and so is Cornelius. And both of these men are going to say, um, look for a man named Simon, whose surname is Peter, and then also uh, a man named Cornelius. And both of these men had visitations from the Lord and from, from an angel, and both of their names were referred to by the angel themselves. So these are men whose names are spoken in heaven. These are men who are devout. These are men who are pressing into the Lord, and, and, and God speaks their name. And it's fascinating to me because we should live our life in such a way that when we wake up early to face the day as, as we studied with Jesus, that he spent all night in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we're, we're going to finish the last portion of his life on Sunday morning where he's, he's going to have gone without sleep for almost 30 hours before he ever gets to the cross. And he's tired facing the brutality of what's awaiting him. But he understood that there was no way physically he could endure that without spending the night in prayer. And, and you think, you know, I, there's not enough time. I need more sleep. Well, look at the disciples. They spent the, the night sleeping. And the Lord said, couldn't you tarry with me? And, and he'd come back and he'd find him in a different stage of sleep. And, and listen, if you want to get up early to, to have time in the Lord, that means you have to prepare your day the day before to be ready to wake up the next day. If you're going to wing it and just go through life and not prepare and, and, and establish yourself to do that, you're going to get waylaid. You're going to get sidetracked. Peter saw this in the Lord's life and applied it. And so did Cornelius. He didn't even know Jesus. And this is a man who was devout and, and spent time in prayer and, and pressing into the Lord to the point where God had heard his prayer, seen his offerings, seen his life, and his, his desire to want to live this, this life of righteousness before the Lord and, and putting himself before God to say, what do you want to do and how do you want to change? And your life, my life, should be lived in such a way that, that the devil watches you wake up in the morning and he watches you open the word and he watches you get on your knees and he says, crap, he's awake. You know, he should, uh, probably you guys are, uh, pastor said that. I, the idea is the devil, he would probably say that word, maybe another one. But he, he, he's just burdened because you have found the source for, for spiritual victory. But if you're just going to wing your life and, and, and just think, I'm putting it on autopilot, there, there is not going to be a significant transformation in your life or those around you nor will there be a spiritual order to the way in which you approach things. All I can tell you is everywhere where there's been chaos, and 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 it's the busiest I've ever been, it's it's the most intense, and in addition to all that, the texts and the emails and the calls and the people that have concerns and needs, it's as though God just orders your steps and puts you where you're supposed to be. 
In addition, I was driving. I, I pulled into a location to go minister to a man whose father had died. Uh, he's a homosexual. I've been ministering to him for a number of years. I was going into his place of business to just tell him. And, and I had sent him a text, and he was really touched by the text. I get into the parking lot, and I begin to pray. And as I'm praying, the Lord clearly impressions upon my heart that not now. And I'm like, Lord, I'm here. Why can't I go? And he just said, not now. And, and I said, okay. And I get out of the car just from this impression. I get out of the parking lot in my car, and I drive home. When I get home, Michelle had longed for me to be there when this other couple had arrived, and they were supposed to come at 9. I pulled into the house at 8, and she said, I got the appointment wrong. It's at 8, and these folks walk up, and I'm with Michelle to do that. I mean, it's, it's, it's the way that the Lord orders your steps is you just lay it out. Now, I ask you right now, if it's chaos and you've got a lot of problems, why don't, why don't you give that to the Lord and purpose tonight to, to be prepared tomorrow? Put the things in order. What are the things that, that waylay your day and sidetrack you? So there's going to be all kinds of distractions to pull you away from the Lord. And what's fascinating about this passage of Scripture is that you see two men whose lives are ingrained in the Scriptures and in prayer, and God speaks to them. God orders their steps. It's fascinating what we see as far as the supernatural is concerned in both of their lives. So let me pray and we'll spend time in the passage. Lord, we thank you for our fellowship to be exhorted and encouraged. That God, uh, it's amazing how Satan wants to keep us out of your word and to keep us out of prayer. He'd rather have us be busy and do a thousand things and make our lives seem as though we're doing something of value or of importance when we've never inquired of you or spent time in your presence. And yet, Lord, just watching Jesus as he's facing the most in- intense moment in human history, and what does he do the night before? Even though he's tired, he presses in. Even though he was sweating as it were drops of blood and angst, he spent the night in prayer. Knowing 30 hours of brutality would await him, he spent the night in prayer. And so, God, I pray that you'd impress that upon our hearts, that, that we profess the name of Christ. We know that we're temples of the Holy Spirit for those who've received the Lord. But, God, if we don't feed the Spirit the flesh will, will dominate. And Lord, we long to be spiritual men and women. And I, I pray that tonight, above all else, that the one thing we take away is, is your heart for us, that we would spend time with you. And so Lord, please bless that, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. One last thing before we get in the word. A Friday morning, I, I got up a little bit late. And Friday morning, we spent time with the men. And uh, I got up a little bit late, but I didn't wanna, I, if I'm gonna be late and I'm gonna, burden somebody. I figured I'd burden the men as opposed to burdening the Lord. That's God's time. And I'd rather be on time with the Lord and late with man. And I, I, I finished my devotion. I spent time with the Lord. I got here with the guys. I was maybe eight or 10 minutes late. And it was the largest group of men we'd had, a lot of new guys. And I imagine a few of them felt uncomfortable wondering where the pastor is. But it was really a profound time together. And I shared with them. I said, you know, I, the Lord takes precedent. I was late. Uh, I, I didn't do the preparation the night before to, to be here on time, but I didn't want the Lord to be the one to suffer for that. Keep that in mind. He gets priority. Amen? Okay. Acts chapter 10. We're going to pick up in a verse that we've already covered, but it'll be in context for what we're studying tonight. And that's verse 19. It says, While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, and go down and go with them doubting nothing, for I have sent them. 
So there he is, he's, he's, he's spending time and he's had this vision with the sheet descending and the, the different kinds of foods and the unclean foods. And he says, you know, kill and eat. And he says, not so, Lord, which we know those words don't go together. He's struggling with this. It, it's also a picture of the food, but more importantly, it's a picture of the Gentiles, which is an unclean race for a Jew to interact with a Gentile. And we find him at the home of Simon the Tanner. Uh, if, you had, if you had married a tanner not knowing it, you'd be unclean. If you were in a tanner's house, you'd be unclean. Here's Simon Peter staying in that house. And while he's pressing into the Lord, he's upstairs waiting for the food to be delivered. He's in Joppa. He's praying. And uh, there's, a, there's a vision. The Spirit says to him, now, you're, you're wondering, how does the Spirit say to you? The same way he spoke to me in the parking lot. The same way there's, there's an impression. You sense the Lord telling you something. It's not an audible voice. I, I don't know any other way to describe it to you. I wish I could. I've never heard the audible voice of God speak to me. It's an impression, a uh, very clear impression. And that's about the best I can describe to you. If any of you have a better way, at the end of the message, please feel free to share. And, and so he's, he's, he hears from the Lord, and the Lord says, and behold, and this, is, this almost seems as though there's clarity, almost like it's an audible voice. Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down with them, doubting nothing, for I've sent them. He didn't know who they are. He just knows the number. There's three of them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am he whom you seek. Now you can imagine Cornelius had a dream. He sent these folks. These folks come, and when they get to Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa, Peter comes down and says, I am he whom you speak. They're like, whoa, God rocks. Uh, immediately, you know, the Lord says this. I, I remember an issue one time where there was a man, when Michelle and I were newly married, he was living in our back house. It was not even a house, it was more like a shed. And he would use the restroom inside because there was no restroom in the shed. Or he'd go down to the YMCA, which was a block from our house, and he'd shower there. And he was an alcoholic and he was recovering and I had shared the Lord with him. He'd come to Christ. And Michelle and I were newlyweds, and she was struggling with them living there. And, uh, and I just was burdened that she wasn't understanding ministry and didn't grasp it and why she was giving me such grief about this guy living back there. And our, our relationship was struggling over this whole thing. And she goes to meet with a pastor, and, uh, and then she comes back, and, and she says, I met with a pastor. And I said, over at Temple Baptist? She said, no, I found another pastor at Calvary Chapel. I knew what Calvary Chapels were, but I, I wasn't familiar with the one in town there in Redlands. And she said, and the pastor wants to meet with you. I said, fine, I'll set him straight. Because I told you when we were going to marry, we'd be about ministry, and you're hesitating on it. And I'll go tell him. I'll set him straight. I drove down to meet with the pastor. I laid out the whole story. I said, you know, she's, she's just not submitting. She's not doing what she needs to do. Blah, 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 blah. And the pastor's just kind of nodding. And it ended up being Don McClure. And Don looks at me and he said, he said, what's the name of the guy in the back of your house? He said, his name's Bill. And he said, well, let me ask you a question. Did you marry Bill or did you marry Michelle? I said, well, come on. I married Michelle. What, what, what's that have to do with anything? He said, well, then go love your wife and kick that guy out of your house. He said, there's, there's no relationship on the earth that takes precedent over your relationship to your wife. Now go... If you, you'll never be a minister until you're ministering to your wife. And the two will become one. And there's obviously issues she has, and she wasn't part of the decision, and you go back and you minister to her. I thought, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's so stupid. I, I'm done with this council. I'm driving back to the house, and the Holy Spirit slapped me on the back of the head going, he was right, he was right, he was right. And bef you know, from the distance of the church to the house, the Lord spoke to me and said, have Bill leave. You go tell him, and you go love Michelle. I said, yes, Lord. And I was submitted. And I'm, I'm pondering in my head, where's Bill going to go? How do I tell him this? Lord, I don't even know what to do. Give me wisdom. 
I pull up to the house, and Bill's walking up to me, and my heart's pounding. I'm like, oh, gosh, poor Bill. And as he's walking up to me, he goes, Rob, Rob, I just want to tell you, I got a bus ticket to Madeira. I'm going to the Madeira rescue mission. I got a whole place set up. I'm really excited about it. And I'm like, praise the Lord, Bill. It's almost like all God wanted was my heart to be yielded, and he took care of the rest. And Bill ended up becoming the director of the Madeira Rescue Mission. He married. He's got three kids. He's got a thriving business. He's led thousands of people to the Lord. It's a whole story in and of itself. But this is that idea that God wants you to be submitted and just do what he tells you to do. And, and that was what was shocking to me as Bill's coming up. I knew God was in it. And these three men, they get it when, when Peter comes down and says, yes, I'm he whom you seek. And then he says, for what reason have you come? You know, Peter's saying, I, I, I know I'm supposed to meet with you. I know I'm supposed to go to Cornelius' house. But what reason have you come? I, I don't know why I'm supposed to go. I don't know any of these things. So they fill him in on the blank spaces that the Holy Spirit didn't speak to him about. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, and by the way, the centurion is an officer. Um, for every uh, legion, there was 5,400 men. Then there'd be a cohort, which would be one-tenth, would be 540. And there was one officer, one centurion to 80 soldiers. And a centurion got 16 times the pay of a regular soldier. So a centurion was very wealthy. Um, and, and they lived an officer's life. They had a nice home. They were the backbone of the Roman army. They were well-treated. So when he describes him as a centurion, all of us are impressed by his authority. But let me share with you that to a Jew, a centurion was vile. And secondly, uh, the, the, the legion that he was from, the Italian regiment, was even worse. And so, you know, Peter's by his flesh, would be burdened by Cornelius, although the Lord had spoken to him, so he's open to it. And think about this. If you're facing a bias and a hindrance to reaching somebody, spend time in prayer and ask God to change your heart and watch what he does. If the Lord speaks to you in regards to someone else and you would say to them, God, there's no way. It's almost like Jonah. I, I am not going to those people. I will not share. And he thinks the quickest way out of you know having to do God's work is to get on a boat to Tarsus or Tarshish. And, and he thinks a boat's fast. Try getting in the belly of a whale or a fish, a uh, whale shark. And, and, and yet he gets there and the entire nation of Nineveh repents and all he can do is sit under a, a gourd and, and whine. And, and yet this is God's heart. And he wanted Peter's heart to change towards the Gentiles. And, and he'd already prepared him through the dream. So when he says he's a centurion, Peter doesn't cringe. It, it would be like saying... Um, you know, to an Armenian, I want you to go minister to this Turkish general. Uh, and the Turks were responsible for the massacre of a million Armenians. It'd be like uh, a Jew, uh, like Corey Tenboom, who was in Ravensburg concentration camp. I want you to go back into Germany and witness to the Germans. Th- this, is the, this is the heaviness of that simple statement that Cornelius is a centurion. But then they immediately add a just man. And look at the way that these men describe their boss. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if people described you this way about, especially people who work for you? And I just ask you this, would, are the people who work for you, or are they saying that? I, I do not want to ask this of the staff here, but I, I'm thinking a just man, one who fears God. Now, the idea of fear is not af- afraid, but one who respects the authority and recognizes God's position in their life. Uh, if, if the you know, if, if, if a high-ranking official came into the room, we would immediately, you know, they used to say when Winston Churchill would come into the room, he'd steal the oxygen. It, it's that kind of idea that, that when God is present, we are silent. Be, you know, when E.F. When Hutton speaks, you know, that kind of thing. And so 
He says he's a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews. So Jews knew him. He was, um, he was monotheistic in his worship. He recognized one God, but he had a Roman background, which means that he, uh, the, the Romans exchanged all the Greek gods and just changed their names and made them Roman gods. And uh, you had Aphrodite, Diana, uh, Bacchus. I can't remember who Bacchus was. But each of the Greek gods became Roman gods, and they just switched over. And so they're polytheistic, meaning many gods. And here you have Cornelius, who's monotheistic, and he's, he's uh, got a great reputation among all the Jews. And they tell the reason why, but in, in the previous portions of the scriptures, he was faithful, he gave um, alms, and he was, he was faithful to give and to care for the poor. And it says, he was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and hear the words from you. By the way, where it says, hear the words, if you like to underline things in your Bible, that the, the word for word is rhema. And the word rhema means living word. It, it's one of those things that someone speaks to you and it brings you life. And as this holy angel is speaking, it is instilling life. It is, it's infusing him, uh, in, 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 in do, uh, endowing him with power. And, and this, is, this holy angel is speaking these words of life. Uh, you, you think about the power of words. Jesus would say in, in, in the sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit murder. But I say to you, anyone who says to his brother Rocco or fools in danger of the fires of hell and, and, and commits murder with their words. Uh, you can speak words of life to people and you can speak words of death. You don't need a gun to murder someone. Your words will do just fine. And that's why the Bible says that we're to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual praises, making melody in our heart. You know, don't do away with filthy language. Some of you are going, well, then why'd you use that word earlier? I'm a work in progress. And, and you, you, the idea is these words bring life. They bring life. And so this is a, this is a man who hears this rhema, these words of life from the angel. And then he said, he invited them in and they lodged with him. Now, from this portion on, it's about a 48-hour period, a little under 48 hours. You can imagine there in Joppa, they're probably walking on the beach. Uh, you can imagine the conversation these three men are having with Peter. Peter, tell us about Jesus. Peter, tell us how you knew him. Peter, tell us about the betrayal. Tell us about how he walked on water. Tell us about how he fed the thousands. You can imagine the conversation there in Joppa with these three men that uh, have been sent there, and they're intrigued. And I would say this to all of you who uh, are, are under rowers, that you're, you're in a servant capacity and you have bosses over you. When, when you're given the privilege to go and attend something and be a part of something, uh, oftentimes I remember I'd be sitting in Don's office and, and here's a man that was there at the beginning for Calvary Chapel. This is a man that witnessed miracle after miracle. This is a man that they consider the five-star general of the Calvary Chapels. Uh, he is, he's one of the, the, the most, uh, he's probably one of the wisest men I've ever met. His insights in the scriptures are unbelievable. I felt the same way about having the privilege to serve with Dr. Bruce Beloyan, the same thing. And I remember we'd have staff meetings and we'd sit down in the staff meetings and, and they would begin to talk. And Don is the kind of man that as he's talking, if anyone interrupts, he stops talking. And he, he, he has learned that you, you get more from listening than you do from talking. And so he just remained silent and listened to the person. And the person who's talking is just going on about something that is trivial. And I, I'm listening to him going, why are you speaking? Why are you taking the time that we have with the gold that he's throwing from his bag so we have to listen to you talk about your bag of sand? And, and, and it would be frustrating. And finally, we just 
the staff pulled aside later and we just said, look, when Don starts talking, do not interrupt him. Because he, he wouldn't continue with that train of thought. He would, just, he would almost feel as though maybe they didn't want to hear it and I don't want to burden them with it. And so finally, when we go into the staff meetings, if Don was talking, if anyone opened their mouth, we would scourge him later. And, and, and Don would, would go on these winding trails and he'd end up at a place where you'd just be sitting with a pile of gold. And, and we would marvel every time. And, and this, this idea of, of lodging or spending time with somebody of significance was profound. And I would say one of the best ways you can disciple someone if you're in a position of authority is take them with you wherever you go. Let them observe your life and observe the people that you have the privilege of being in contact with. And if you're blessed enough to be able to tag along in something like that, don't open your mouth. Just observe. Take it in. When we're young, we want everyone to know who we are. We want to position ourselves. We want to wedge in there. We want to talk about our our accomplishments. Don't. Just listen. Amen? Amen? So they lodged with him for about 48 hours. The next day, Peter went away with them. Some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. Now, we don't know how many. It was probably a large contingency. Um, the, the word many translates more than 10. So here you have a group of more than 10 accompanying uh, these three guys and Peter to, uh, from Joppa, and they're heading to Caesarea. They're both coastal cities. Uh, we're going to go there on uh, June 6th to the 16th. We're going to get a chance to see Caesarea. We're going to be right there in Simon the Tanner's house, right at the front door. It's now owned by an Armenian. Uh, it's fascinating to see that. It's a really quaint town. Caesarea, the ruins there in Caesarea are fascinating. And so they travel, um, and they, they, they go this entire distance in the following day. So that's your 48 hours. They spend a day in Joppa and then another day traveling. And they enter into Caesarea. Now, as they get into Caesarea, Cornelius is waiting for them. And the, the concept in the Greek of waiting is that he is anxiously and he's prepared for their arrival. Um, when, when Michelle knew that Ryan was coming, we also knew that Natasha was going to have to stay with us while she's recovering or going through these, these kidney stones. And um, we've got another house guest coming on Friday, and, and we wanted to care. So we had to move Ryan upstairs, which is an oven up there because there's no air conditioning. Um, and we call it the Anne Frank room. And, and, and you know, it's, it's where everything that we used in the 15 years we lived there has ended upstairs. It's kind of like Canada. Uh, you know, you seldom go up there, but when you do, there's really cool stuff. Canada. Uh, it's America's attic. It's kind of... For those of you Canadian, it wasn't an insult. If you think about it, just ponder it a little bit. Put it in your pocket for later, and you'll, you'll get it. But we came home last night, and we hear this, and I thought, what's the air conditioner doing on at 10 o'clock at night? What, who's? And we listen, and it's Michelle upstairs vacuuming, getting ready for Ryan, and, and she's got Natasha's sheets all done, and it's like she's expecting their arrival. That's Cornelius's heart. It's this gift of hospitality that the body of Christ should possess. Make somebody feel welcome in your home. Invite them in with a gift. Let them leave with something. Let them know they're special. The way you treat people is the way you feel about yourself. It's this idea of wanting to, if you arrive, what would you expect or what would, you, what would make you happy? And you just think through that. Try to get some ideas in advance of what makes it special. And, and so this gift of hospitality, he's waiting for them. And he had called together his relatives and close friends. Now, uh, in Uganda, this is very common that, that when I, I travel there and I, I go into a home, they've invited everybody and their grandmother 
And to, to them, they want you to celebrate with their family. To me, it's, you know, 50 people that want to have a private conversation. And when I, when I travel, if it's a 10-day trip, I, I gear myself up that I am, I'm going, they're going to take me and mop the floor with me, put me on the plane and send me home. And, and I'm exhausted by the time I get on the plane. But when I'm there, it's, you just pour your life into the people who are there to pour their life into you. And as you spend time engaging with these folks, your life is enriched because you get to hear so many wonderful things. I, I just got off the phone with Dr. Lumala, and I told him about Michelle's healing with her eye. And he, he sent me five uh, of his congregation's miracle stories, uh, you know, people with stage four cancer walking out of the hospital. He, he's such a lovely man. He's, he's one of those guys that survived the revolution in Uganda. He, he spent time in the Soviet Union, trained as an oral surgeon, speaks Russian, speaks uh, English, speaks Lugandan, speaks Swahili, um, trained as a doctor, uh, recently a widower, pastor as a church, came to, I mean, and as he's sending these things, I'm touched. So when you walk into his house, he surrounds you with people just like that. This is what Cornelius does. The house is filled to capacity, and that's the concept we get in the Greek, that he called together his relatives and close friends. Probably has a lot of close friends. The house is packed. And why? Because they get to be in the presence of one of the apostles. That's pretty spectacular. Um, I can only give you an earthly illustration. Um, uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Ulrich. Um, he's one of the apostles, and he's, he's the second president. He's got a German name. Do you know his name? Yeah. I was invited to go to USC at the School of Religion because they're going to give uh, a chair to, uh, uh, to the Mormon studies. Um, they'd had one for every other religion. They were doing one. And so he came out for this, and I was asked to come. I was tired. There was a lot going on. I, I, I you know, kindly declined. And, and it was almost as though there was an insult. They, they, they weren't, they, they're very gracious. They weren't angry, but they, they, they were trying to impart to me how special it is to be in the presence of this man. He is, there's, there's the 12 apostles and he is one of the three. It's like the Peter, James, and John of the Mormon faith. You're, you don't realize the invitation you've turned down kind of thing. It, it didn't really appeal to me like, like it would to them. I didn't quite get it. But that gives you an idea of how they felt about Peter being in their presence. And everyone comes out and they've been given an invitation and they're thrilled. Uh, when we had the opportunity to be over at uh, Gino's Bistro with uh, uh, Senator Ted Cruz, um, it's, it's limited capacity. I invited people that I knew really wanted to meet him. And, 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 and as it was, everyone invited just their two closest friends. And you couldn't move in that place. It was so packed. So that's the idea. Too long to explain it. I'm sorry. Uh, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him. And now watch this. He fell down at his feet and he worshipped him. Uh, this is this is deference that that Cornelius is giving. He is a man under authority, and Jesus would speak to the centurion in the same capacity. I'm a man under authority, and and over authority, and I speak the word, and my servant will get it done. And Jesus loved this idea of authority, uh, and he had nothing but praise to speak about this centurion, and he healed his servant from the distance by speaking the word. But the centurion understands authority, and when he comes into the presence of Peter, the first thing he's doing is is bowing down and, and this idea of worshiping him. Now, you have to remember, Caesar was a god in the Roman religion, small g. 
He was God, and he served Caesar. And, and, and so he, what he's saying to Peter, to the best of his ability, is here's one greater than Caesar. And, and I am prostrating myself and worshiping you as a man greater than Caesar. He's, he's giving to him an acknowledgement. Now, now, for some of us, we would say, oh, that's idol worship. Get off your feet. That, you know, I'm insulted that you would treat me. Peter doesn't do that. Peter takes it as a lesson to instruct him because Cornelius' heart is right. He just has to get his mind in alignment with the truth of, of, of what Christianity is about. He's almost connected all the dots, but he doesn't have them quite yet because he's still got this, this societal background that has infused his life and he's gone through military training and it's been instilled in him. It's almost like he can't stop saluting. He can't stop this, this you know, reverence. And he falls at Peter's feet and he worships him. But Peter lifted him up. And the, and the idea in the Greek of lifting up is it's a tenderness. He says, you know, just this, come, come on, get up. He gets down next to him and pulls him up. And he just says, get up. And he says, stand up. I myself am also a man, anthropoto, which I, I, I am flesh and blood. I'm not a God. I'm not a God. There's only one true God. It's Jesus Christ. And in a moment, I'll explain that to you. But it, what he's saying to him is, I'm just like you. I put my pants on one leg at a time. I, I, I have a sin nature just like you. And this is what I absolutely adore about the scriptures. I've shared this with you countless times. The Apostle Paul, when he says, I, I was a sinner, when he starts his ministry, and then he concludes in Second Peter by saying, I'm the chief of sinners. N- nowhere in there do you see that, that, that Paul's flesh is improved. I've said this countless times, that, that the, the Christian's flesh is just as vile as the pagan's flesh. I've seen it in some of you, and you've seen it in me. We are capable of the most awful things. And, and in me, the Apostle Paul would say, in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. The only good thing in any of us, and we've said it and we can't say it enough, is Jesus Christ. It's the only good thing in our lives. And so when Peter kneels down at the, at the side of Cornelius and says, stand up, my friend. I myself am also a man just like you. I, I happen to be given authority, God, but don't forget, the guy that's telling you he's a man is the one that betrayed the Lord three times. The guy that's telling you a man is the, the one that the Lord said, get behind me, Satan. The guy that, I, I mean, I am a loser, three-dimensional, apart from the Lord. I Get up, buddy. You, you have no idea who you're bowing in front of. Don't do this. And, and then as he says this, as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. So the room is packed. This idea of many is an a, is a enormous amount. And then he said to them, he says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. And what he's saying is, do you guys see how weird this is? That a Jew is, is with a Roman Gentile, you know, centurion. And that I was just at Simon the Tanner's house and I am kicking it with Gentiles. I am an Orthodox Jew. I've been raised a Jew. I've been trained a Jew. I am a Jew. I've eaten Jewish food. That's all I eat. And now I'm with you. And, and this is crazy. Anyone else get this idea how crazy this is? So what he immediately does is he, he, he points out the elephant in the room. Everyone's like, wow, a Jew, is, I mean, well, how do we act? What are we going to do? Are we supposed to wear, you know, a yarmulke? Are, is there anything special? Can I get you any special food? You know, uh, I was on Saturday, I got a phone call at 
7.40 in the morning. It was a guy from Texas, Dan Wilkes, a billionaire guy. And he called me, and, and he, I shared with you his t- accent, real West Texas accent. He goes, hey, Rob. It was a Waco number. I didn't know who it was. Hey, Rob. It was quiet. Hey, Dan. Real quiet. How you doing? I'm, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. This is going to be a long hour and 20 minutes. Hour and 20 minutes. Probably spoke 20 words. No, I'm kidding. But at one point in the conversations, we're talking about ministry, and we're, we're, just, we're just sharing our heart. We're talking about our families. I said to him, I said, Dan, does it floor you? I mean, you're a high school dropout. 11 kids in your family, nine lived. You're a bricklayer. Your daddy was a preacher. You guys were dirt poor. You were born in a goat shed, and you guys had an outhouse. Now you're a, not a billionaire, you're a multi-billionaire. And you're talking to a pastor in a church in California, maybe 500 on a good Sunday. And I'm, I'm in a house of 1,450 square feet. And, and I, I'm, I'm no wise old owl. I graduated from Fresno State uh, only because I could swim. It's the only way I got my degree. I had never done a term paper until I got to college. I was dumber than a box of rocks. I never got a love for reading until the Lord came into my life. I said, Dan, you didn't even have a high school education. And the two of us, our hearts are knitted and we're just touched. And I, and I mean, doesn't that blow you away, Dan? And there's dead silence. I'm like, Dan, did I insult you by, by talking about your dropping out? No, he didn't insult me. He just made my eyes sweat. <laughs> he goes, I'm all choked up on the other end. He said, isn't it special how the Lord works? I go, yeah. I mean, that the two of us got connected in, in a sea of humanity. He goes, you know, Rob, I'm just, I'm just grateful God brought you into my life. I said, and I'm, I'm grateful he brought you into mine. And that's the idea is you're just addressing the elephant in the room, and this is what he says. I mean, two totally different backgrounds. I, 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 at times, I can't even understand what he's saying. And when his wife talks, I almost need an interpreter. Seriously, and, and two totally different, and this is exactly what Peter's doing. He's knitting hearts together. You walk into a room with different people, and you get all irritated. And the idea is, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They don't so much want to hear about you, they want you to hear about them. Listen, and, and don't, don't just shut it down because the food they're serving is different, or, or shut it down because their, their traditions are different, or... Whatever it is, if it's non-salvific, leave it alone. Don't get all burdened because the culture's different. Seek to understand the culture. You know, you go in, you you go into a restroom in 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 San Diego near the border, and you walk into a gas station restroom and you find toilet paper, used toilet paper in the trash can. And our response as Western, you know, Americans is filthy, filthy people on the, on the south of the border. Put it in the toilet. They're putting it in the trash can because they don't have flushing toilets that can handle that and it clogs it. They're being considerate. That's what they know. But we immediately, you know, love hopes all things. And so you seek to understand and you, you, you're just patient and long-suffering. These are the gifts of the Lord. 
And so this is, this is what Peter's doing. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. I have judged you my entire life. I wouldn't even come into your presence. I, 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 you, you sickened me until I came to the Lord. I remember the, the, the first friend when I went to uh, San Diego City College, I had to take the bus over and, and I'm sitting in a class. Now I grew up in a high school that's 98.9% white. And, and, you know, it, 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 I, was, I was a marshmallow in milk. And I get to the city college, and, and my desk mate, my, my lab partner, is an African-American. And he's from National City. I mean, it's it, it, complete antithesis of Coronado. And, and, you know, he's got to take three buses before he gets to San Diego City College. And I can't understand him because, you know, he's, he's got a... <sighs> just a act i don't even i can't call it an accent it's just kind of a lingo and he's using words i've never heard and he's speaking english but i can't put the sentences I, I can't and and i'm i'm trying and i'm struggling and he's struggling with me and uh we finally got to a place where we started laughing with each other and i invited him home and and i'm thinking you know my mom was from galveston texas uh racist to some degree i'm thinking she's gonna flip but i'm coming home and 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 i and i I, uh terrence was his name and i bring terrence home and and my mom couldn't have been sweeter she said terrence welcome to my home come on in sweetheart sit down you know and it was i'm like uh you you know my mom i won't even go into i don't want to insult her she's not here to defend herself she's with the lord but i watched my mom after she came to christ completely transform completely transformed. And, and as I'm, I'm, I'm with this young man, we spent so much time together and we got to know each other to the point where when I ended up in Fresno working in the inner city and going in the Lowell district and working with John Perkins, who was from Mendenhall, Mississippi, and, and, and it, it gave me a total connection that when I sit down at the Oxnard Pastors Conference next to Bishop Broderick Huggins, here's a, here's a, a, a black man and a white man sitting next to each other, um, Democrat, uh, you know, liberation theology, friends with uh, Dr., uh, Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright, and here's Rob McCoy, you know, raising Coronado. He was, and immediately we hit it off, and we start laughing. And, and I, I understood his culture. He understood mine. We connected together. He's had the, he, I've, we've had the privilege of having him preach in our, our pulpit. I've had the privilege of preaching in his. And, and this, is, this is his idea that, that we, we shouldn't call any man common or unclean. Just because you don't understand the culture, step in and, and hope all things and participate. So he points this out and he says, therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then for what reason have you sent for me? And now Cornelius goes into the explanation of why these three men were sent by Cornelius for Peter to come. So Cornelius now tells Peter what the Holy Spirit hadn't told Peter, but what the Holy Spirit had told Cornelius. Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting. By the way, if you've never tried fasting, what it is is denying the body to align yourself spiritually. And it's, it's a fascinating way to press in. If you've got sins that are easily besetting you and you're struggling, try a three-day fast. Uh, ask God to realign and, and spend time in the Word. And I would say get in, three days is not even enough. When you get to the third day, that's when you stop being hungry and your body kicks into this mode. And it, it really takes on a deeper spiritual m- mode. And, and I, this is what he's doing. He's fasting. He's pressing into the Lord. He says, I was fasting until this hour. 
And at the ninth hour, which is about 3 p.m. Uh, in, in, uh, on their clock, he says, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. The translation of the Greek is it was sparkling, it was radiant, it was blinding. He said, Cornelius. Now, that's another fascinating name. An angel saying his name. I've never had an angel say my name. I know my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but this man's known in heaven. And, and angels speak his name. And this is a guy that is, hasn't even been baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is a guy that hasn't even fully comprehended salvation by grace through faith. This is a, and, and yet because of his life pressing into the Lord, God has shown favor to him. And, and he says, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Now, by the way, the translation for your prayer means uh, the prayer or, or uh, you prayed, which, which means, Cornelius, all this occurred. Now, pay attention. All this occurred because you prayed. I'm going to drive this home. You prayed. Satan has no problem with you reading the word. He has no problem with you doing studies. He has no problem with you doing apologetics. He has no problem with you witnessing. He has a problem with you praying. And, And there is a drought of prayer in the body of Christ. We go about our day not praying. He, and here's a man that doesn't even fully comprehend Jesus Christ. He says, your prayer has been heard. We are moving based on what you did. You ask God. You talk to him. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. He's a generous man. You want to see God move? Be generous. You know why? Because you take on his characteristics. For God so loved the world he gave. We are the stingiest human beings on the earth. And what it does is it takes you out of yourself. And, and you hilariously give. I'm not saying this for a tithing message. I'm saying it for a spiritual deepening. You hilariously give. Put it on the edge. Make it count. Struggle with it. And, and watch. You cannot outgive God. Last thing before we move on because I've got 14 minutes. Bud Edmonds, Wilshire Paint. I brought three of my guys in as we were painting houses in the inner city. He donated all the paint. I brought him in. I sat him down. Bud Edmonds was in his late 60s. He had come to Christ in his early 60s. I said, Mr. Edmonds, I brought these three fellows in from my youth group. I wanted you to tell your testimony. He said, Rob, I came to Christ late in life. I don't got lots left. I'm not a healthy man. I own this business. I'm, I'm tired of seeing my city go down the tubes. And I committed that anyone who's willing to paint a house in the Lowell District in the epicenter of poverty in, in Fresno, I would donate the paint and the supplies to paint it. He says, and you've, you, you can testify, Rob. You've come in here countless times, and you walk out with as much paint as you need, and the paint, uh, the, the paint machines and the brushes, and they come back dirty. He pointed that out. They come back dirty. You don't clean them well enough. I said, okay, we'll fix that, Mr. Edmonds. He says, but I want to tell you boys something. He said, to date, in the last... Four months, I've given away over $150,000 in paint. My warehouse was broken into and they stole another $100,000 in paint because they had the highest crime rate of any city in the U.S. He said, and you know, Rob, of over 700 paint manufacturers in California, I'm one of only two that have had a sales versus sales increase. He says, they can't steal it and I can't give it away fast enough that the Lord doesn't resupply it. He says, you boys take note of that. He said, this has been the most fruitful seven years of my life when I learned how to give. And then I took one of the boys, he was in the car with me sitting in the back seat while um, Zabel Garabian, we'd gone to the 
the, the mayor's office because it was, they had dedicated the Grabian Family Life Center. They donated $3 million, I think. And we're driving back from this, and he's in the back seat. I took him with me. Back seat. Zabel pulls over on the side of the road where there was no parking in a one-way section. So it's, it's a lane, and she parks. Cars, me, 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 me. And she's in her 80s. Her hands are shaking. They're all bejeweled, and she's shaking. And she points to this house. It's a, a, like a two-bedroom Victorian that's leaning in the dilapidated part of inner city Fresno. She says, Rob, and her hand's shaking. And she didn't even acknowledge the boy in the back because she had forgotten. She said, Rob, this is the house I grew up in, sweetie. And she said, do you see that big window there? I said, yeah. And she said, that's where I learned how to give. I said, really, Zabel? Cars, me. And the guy's like, oh, God, die. And it's like, all of a sudden, it just got quiet. And the Lord was taking over. And I wasn't afraid anymore. And she said, Rob, my dad uh, was a tradesman. And, and he'd get his paycheck. And we had envelopes laid out. And the rent and the food and the utilities and all the envelopes were laid out. But the very first envelope was the Lord. And he'd have all the kids gather around. And we'd count the money with dad. And then we take that tie, that tenth, and we put it in the first envelope. And she said, and Rob, do you know that every other envelope got filled? Didn't happen right away, but we never missed a payment. And she said, Rob, when I married Harry, he didn't know the Lord. But I told him, I said, Harry, I'll marry you, but you better tithe. And he said, Zabel, I give you my word, I'll tithe. And he didn't know the Lord, but he, he loved that woman and he tithed. And uh, I, I had the chance to lead Harry to Christ before he died. And I said, Harry, you, you're like Cornelius. You, you have been given alms your whole life. And you've seen the fruit of it. He said, Rob, there's no reason why I should be as wealthy as I am. We haven't had any kids, but God gave me Zabel. She's been the godliest woman and the sweetest woman. And why it's taken me so long. And he prayed to receive the Lord. And, and, and I look at that and I just think, that woman single-handedly was used of God to change the city. It ended up becoming one of America's finest cities, highest crime rate drop in FBI statistic history. And that woman was the epicenter. And she had learned in that little bay window in that two-story dilapidated Victorian house. So where are we? Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. Again, you hear angels reflecting Simon's name and Peter's uh, his surname. He's lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea, which probably floored Cornelius. What is a Jew doing at Simon the Tanner's house? And when he comes, he'll speak to you. So I sent you to you immediately, and you've done well to come. Now, therefore, we're all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. You had no idea where you were supposed to come. I have no idea why you're here, but apparently you're supposed to say something to us, and we're all here, and we're ready to receive everything. All the commandments God has given you for us. So, so what does that say? When you come on Wednesday nights or you come on Sunday or you come on Sunday nights, you come with your heart prepared to receive. And so they're ready. We're ready to receive all you have. Do you say that when you walk through the doors of the church or do you walk through going, man, I don't want to be here and worship's going to, and I, I've had a bad end. They're just, everybody's, and you've got some sort of judgment issue. Why don't you walk through and say, God, I'm, I'm prepared to receive everything you have. Put, put your issues aside. This isn't about you. Amen? And so they say, we're all present before God to hear all the things commanded to you by God. Eight minutes, here we go. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. So Peter begins with what was convicting his heart. God has shown me there's no partiality. I mean, this is going to be a big day for all of us because <clears throat> uh, this, this is really odd. 
and you're Romans and I'm a Jew and God shows no partiality. He says, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. It's apparent to me that God has been speaking to you and obviously the same God that holds the heavens in the span of his hand who created you and you've been fearfully and wonderfully made. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Uh, God works in those lives to those who fear him and work righteousness and he accepts them. And obviously, whatever you've been doing, Cornelius, God is pleased with it. He says, a word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Now, peace is reconciliation with God. The message that Peter was sharing in context is reconciliation with God. It's that peace, peace with God. And then when you have peace with God, you have the peace of God. He says, and so the word was sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, speaking of messianic prophecies, messianic psalms. And and Jesus Christ is the Yeshua HaMashiach. Uh, uh, Jesus is his name. Christ is his title, Messiah. He's Lord of all. Uh, that's why you don't worship me, Cornelius. Jesus is Lord of all, not Caesar. Jesus is Lord of all, not Bacchus, not you know Aphrodite, not Diana. Jesus is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began in Galilee after the baptism which John preached. You remember that? He was baptized. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. That news traveled all through the land. He knows, Cornelius knows that he's probably nodding with his head. Yes, I'm well aware of that. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And by the way, I'm preaching, a, a, I'm, I'm giving a sermon on a sermon right now. This is, this is a sermon that is ex, exceptional, spectacular. It's to the point. So if you got nothing out of what I shared earlier, just listen to Peter's sermon. You're going to be blessed. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. That's dunamos. Uh, that, that means dynamic, uh, supernatural power. Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. And this is, this is where Jehovah's Witnesses try to say that Jesus wasn't crucified. It is the exact same translation. Hanging on a tree means the exact same thing. He's hanging on nails. It's not he was hanging on a tree. They're speaking of the wooden posts. It's a different way of describing it. That's a lot to develop a religion around if, if you want to use that as your only proof statement. Verse 40, him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. By the way, when Jesus rose from the dead, and we're going to see this in the book of John, and he reappeared, guess who he didn't show up to? Guess who he didn't appear to? He didn't appear to anyone who wasn't a believer. He, hadn't, he, he already did everything he said he was going to do. I'm going to rise from the dead. He came back to show himself to those who had already committed their lives to him. You say, you know, God, if you show me, I'll believe. And God says, you believe and I'll show you. And here you have these folks that are trusting and, and he appears to them. And, and this is what Peter is declaring. And, and basically it's an affirmation to Cornelius because Cornelius by faith was trusting and now God's showing him. So it's a, it's a direct correlation between the two. Uh, verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that, he, that it is he who was ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. The quick and the dead in the King James translation. Quick means living. So he judges us while we're alive and he judges us when we die. It's appointed once for man to die, then judgment. Living, we're judged by our works on this earth. Nations are judged. People are judged in the sense that, you know, if... if we reap what we sow. If you sow to the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. 
Um, if you press into the Lord, there's blessing. If you honor the commandments, there's blessing. One of the reasons why our Mormon friends are so blessed is because they honor the commandments. You look at their, their tithe, you look at their bank accounts, you look at the way they do their businesses, they're blessed. They're blessed. It, it's a natural spiritual law that you, you do these things, there's a blessing that comes with it. It's how it works. And that's why our founding fathers spoke about natural law. They're just certain things that you apply and you succeed with. You're honest, you succeed. And so he points this out. And uh, where are we? Okay. Um, judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, his name, and by the way, this idea of name is, is the power of this name. And he says, by his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved but that of Jesus Christ. It's the one name on the face of the earth that divides a room. You can say, you know, I just want to thank God at the Emmys and nobody cares. But you say Jesus Christ and that room divides. You know, people stub their toe, they don't grab it and go, oh, Buddha. They grab their toe and they go, Jesus Christ. Because that's the name that frustrates people. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. You know, it's, it's, what, it's what C.S. Lewis called the trilemma. You, you, it's the one name that you just can't escape. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord based on what he said. And you've got to deal with that. We all have to deal with it. What have you done with Jesus? And every man is without excuse, for all creation speaks of him. You know that there's, there's, there's not a hidden tribe in the Amazon or in the Congo or anywhere else. The Bible says every man is without excuse. And, and, and the idea is, is you press in, and Cornelius is a perfect example of this. Cornelius is pressing into a God he doesn't completely know, but he can tell just simply by the universe that this is necessary. And the things that are right, I struggle internally with, and is there anyone who can help me? And all of a sudden he says, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. That's the one thing we struggle with, folks. It's the thing that divides us. How do you... How, how do you deal with your failure? How do you deal with your sins? How do you deal with missing perfection? How do you process that? How will you stand before a perfect and holy God in your sin? And, and come on, how many times a day does a good man or woman sin? Uh, eight times? Let's just be conservative. A really good person, eight times? Whether sins of omission or commission? And then eight times, you're obviously going to live a long time because you're living a really healthy life. So let's say you, you live 80 years. So 365 times eight times 80, you're going to wheel that wheelbarrow in. Actually, it's a pickup. It's probably a semi. It's probably a train. You're going to dump that in front of the Lord and go, hey, I'm ready to come in. God's like, wait. Well, you can't bring that in with you. And they're attached to you because you never had my son cleanse you and 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 his righteousness was ever was never put on your account you got to pay the penalty of that the wages of sin is death you can't bring those in you're, you're dead you're separated from me you never receive the forgiveness of those and the propitiation for those sins and what he's saying is this is where you find the remission for your sins this is where the penalty is paid right here uh, in the name of jesus and then finally while the Peter was still speaking these words. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the words. Peter's still in the middle of his sermon like I am now with one minute to go. And Peter is the only living human being on the face of the earth who was interrupted by the Father, interrupted by the Son, and interrupted by the Holy Spirit. Right? He's interrupted by all three. I mean, he's got, he, that's a moniker to carry around. 
And while he's still speaking, the Holy Spirit descends on him. And they're like, and, and you want to talk about a Pentecost. What is the manifestation of that? And you, and you say, oh, this is hokey pokey and those people rolling. Listen, I'm doing an in-depth study on some of these charismatic leaders in the history of the United States. A lot of them went sideways, but some of these things are fascinating to see what God has done in the history of the country. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. These Jews were floored. As many came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. They had witnessed this at Pentecost with the Jews. They had witnessed it with the Samaritans. Now they're witnessing it with the Gentiles. And they're just stunned. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnifying God. By the way, tongues. If tongues is used in a church and, and we're in an afterglow and somebody starts going in the, in the, in the tongue and the interpretation of tongues begins, you know, beloved children, um, you know, God is calling his church to purity and, and they start saying that. Immediately I stop and I go, no, 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 no. That's not tongues. Anywhere in the scriptures where tongues is used, it's always, it's always man speaking to God, not God speaking to man. And you magnify the Lord. It's always psalms, hymns, and spiritual praises. That's, that's the interpretation everywhere in the scripture. That doesn't work. That just doesn't work. And, and so here you see, and, and by the way, gifts are important, but it also has to be the orderly use of the gifts. And even the orderly use of the gifts is kind of crazy, but it's cool. But there's also order to it. So Peter answered, he says, Can anyone forbid that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay a few days. And so Peter does. But what's fascinating is if you look at Acts 4, verse 8, and Acts 4, verse 31, in both cases where the word, uh, the Spirit fell, or they were filled with the Spirit, the, the understanding in the Greek is they were filled afresh. So it's this, this overwhelming, overflowing, and I've gone through this before with you, in, with, upon, the prepositions of how the Holy Spirit operates in, in the lives of, of people. And it's overflowing. It's this torrent of, inner, uh, of, of water, inner water, gushing streams, overflowing, that they are touching lives. And they're, they're speaking glossia, they're speaking words or languages that, that they didn't know previously. And, and everyone is blown away by it. And the gifts are being manifest and supernatural gifts to accomplish a supernatural work. And God has impressed upon me, and that's the reason why I've been reading so much lately, is because I know that as we undertake what God has for us as a fellowship, that, that we're going to be waiting upon him for the endowment of this power. That, that there, are, there are areas that we are, are going to need that he's going to have to give us discernment and words of knowledge and navigate these areas of life. And we gotta, we've got to be prepared for that, navigate it. Because whenever you start to see the manifestation of power, if somebody has the gift of, of prophecy, all of a sudden we tend to be drawn to that person and elevate their name and we want them to come and speak and do conferences. And we're fleshly and it goes to our head and then we go sideways. You know, some of the greatest moves of God's spirit have always been with folks that didn't even get their name printed. And, and, and yet we always want to focus on the individual as opposed, God gives a gift so that we fall in love with the giver of the gifts. And then I'll just close with this thought that we're going to see in the later chapters that, that the church in Jerusalem is not happy. And it almost creates a division in the church. Because here you have these spirit-filled Jews that have embraced Jesus as their Messiah and all of a sudden this boatload of Gentiles comes in. And they're like, not in my house. There's no way that God is going to be reaching those people. Does that sound familiar? I got a text or email from a friend who sent me a copy of Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright's uh, sermon. 
how he was pro-Palestinian and anti-Jew and, and went through all these things. And they were saying it because I sat on a dais with Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright as though I'm supposed to be stunned by that. So I wrote him back and I said, you know, I, I did a little research on Dr. Jer- David, or Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright. He went to a liberal, a liberal seminary. Uh, Robert Palmer, who was his uh, professor, graduated from a liberal seminary. Uh, Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright served as a corpsman in the Navy for Marine Detachment, um, faced racism. And, uh, and the reason why both these men went to liberal seminaries is because the conservative seminaries wouldn't let them in. I said, now we've created, and I said, I don't agree with this theology. It's dead wrong as far as I'm concerned. But you decry this as a monster. And I say, well, if it's a monster, it's a monster we created because of our prejudice. And I would say, instead of whining about it, why don't you get into the inner city and start teaching some theology? And that's, that's the church in Jerusalem. They didn't want their comfort zone shook. I don't want any Gentiles in my building. That doesn't work in the body of Christ. Man, woman, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, we're one. He's broken down every wall. That's what's so special about the body of Christ. That's what should make us epically different. Amen?